Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to The Wealth Stream with Tim Scannell from Hightower Great Lakes. I am incredibly excited. This is a part two podcast. That means there was a part one, obviously. Part one was with Stuart McMillan and part two is also with Stuart McMillan. He is back in studio and uh, Tim, thank you so much for bringing him back. The story was riveting the first time, the first part of the story. I know we're going to get into part two here, uh, but why don't you go ahead and give the audience a reminder of why you brought Stuart on and, and what he's talking about today. Sure. I brought Stuart on because he's an example of what I consider a heroic entrepreneur. I think that um, a lot of people follow rock bands and other movie stars. I I am a stalker of entrepreneurs, and, and he's one of the best <laughs> ones. My funnest one I've talked to, I think his story is incredible. And in part one, we talked about the beginning of the business and you know why it existed and the legacy with his father and all, you know, the transition to a company and you know the, the role of uh, the YPO and mentors. And what I wanted to get in today in part two, Stuart, is really talking about, okay, you've been running the business. A lot of family-owned business owners are listening to the podcast. Talk about family dynamics and how your family was affected by it. Well, there certainly was serious family dynamics. Uh, my brother did not spend the amount of time I did with my dad. And in retrospect, I see as an adult and a father myself that he was shortchanged. He didn't get the amount of mentoring that I got from my dad. I saw it as my brother having a lack of interest. I didn't understand the bigger picture that, that he just didn't feel wanted. Because he, you know, what can somebody four years younger do better other than cause trouble? And that actually was something that Consler taught me, um, which was a real eye-opening experience. And that you know, when I was six and my brother was two, what could he do better than me? Nothing other than cause mischief. And then my dad would say, Betty, come get Doug. He's causing trouble. Mm -hmm. And so he went a different path. And then in 1980, when he graduated business school, uh, my dad had promised me that he would um, work somewhere else first before the family business. But as it turned out in 1980, for those who are old enough to remember, that was a 21% interest environment. There were not jobs. And I came to work one day, and there was my brother working in an office that was empty. And my dad said, don't worry, don't worry. He's going to work for me, and you know uh, it'll all be fine. And he had told my brother, my father had told my brother, that he would be president someday. Of course, not knowing that he was less than two years at that point from dying. And so when my father died, my brother assumed that he was going to be president. And we quickly found out from the attorney that uh, I had voting control of the company because I had stock plus my father's trust. And that was a shock to all of us that I had voting control. And so I became president, which at that point I had 10 years in the business. And um, that was a blow for my brother, for, no doubt. And then um, as time progressed, the, the rift between us, if you will, became more difficult. And then he had an accident with an aircraft and he was out of the company for about six months. And I'm finding out right now as I retire how quickly the gap fills in behind you. Sure. 
Uh, the oldest story I remember from my grandfather was I had an argument with a bunch of kids in the front yard one day, and my grandfather took me in the back and filled a bucket of water and put my hand in it and said, okay, take your hand out. Oh, where'd the hole go? Oh, it filled right in. You're gone. No, the water looks just the way it did when you came back here. Mm-hmm. And that's really the case with business as well. And um, so my brother came back after six months. His role had been filled in sales, and so we established international sales. But there was a highly competitive situation. And that's when I really formed the board was to resolve that situation, give him a venue where he was a shareholder, separate from him being a vice president. And very quickly, the board determined that uh, one of us had to go. And uh, long story I'll leave out, but it ended up that my brother left the company. And what that led to in, was in 2004, um, my consideration of selling the company such that my brother could get his equity out and I would not be effectively holding a thumb on his money. And so I went on a one-year-long process to sell the company And out of that came huge lessons. Um, I call it my $500,000 MBA because I feel like the legal fees we paid that year and commissions and so forth to not get a deal done, I still learned so much that it was worth an MBA. I pulled the plug on the deal the day before uh, we were signing documents. There was a number of things that they were putting conditions on the company that, that chafed me in a way I couldn't deal with. So I pulled the plug on it, and it occurred then one of my biggest life lessons because uh, I went to the management team to tell them I was pulling the plug, and they all stood to get pretty substantial bonuses out of it. And the very first response I got from one of my most senior members was, and I'll clean it up for radio, but uh, I hope this doesn't mean you're going back to being the way you used to be. And I'm like, what would that be, Rod? And... He said, a micromanaging son of a bitch. And I thought about it, and he was so right. I mean, during that year, I'd spent so much time working on the deal that I'd let the management team go. And also in preparing the book, we had done the book good to great and really effectively started doing strategic planning correctly for the first time. And everybody was hitting on all cylinders. I was leaving them alone. I wasn't on their back every minute. And the company was just doing fantastic. And um, it was a real lesson for me that I needed to let go even further than I had in terms of letting people do their jobs and make decisions. But the die was cast and then I started looking for who was the right partner for the company, which ended up being a 12-year journey. And I I would warn people I was the runaway bride of um, M&A because I... Started to partner up with several different. I looked at ESOPs. I looked at uh, a minority shareholder. Looked at an additional company uh, for majority control, and just didn't find the fit. And um, knew I was getting older. Knew that I needed to have an event take place. There's a book called Every Family Business mm-hmm. that was fundamental to my life. Uh, it was given to me by a friend and. In that book, it talks about legacy, and it talks about how too many people run their business because they think the legacy is their children taking it over. And what they don't realize is that the the legacy is to have the resources to help your kids do whatever their passion is, not to force your passion upon them. 
After I read the book, I was sitting on the edge of the bed with my son, who was 10 at the time, and uh, I was telling him about the book, and he very wisely said, Dad, I read a lot of books. And I said, yeah, I know you do. And he said, well, every book I've read has a final chapter. Did you know that? And I said, yeah, smart ass. Yeah, every book has a final chapter. He said, well, Dad, this book is yours, and you need to write the final chapter. And if I'm in it, that's okay. And if I'm not in it, that's okay. It's your book. And with that, he turned over and went to sleep, and I sat in the corner of his bedroom and cried for a half an hour. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was so freeing to know that I had his support no matter which way I went with it. I had him later in life, and so I did not have the amount of time to spend with him. But I don't think that really matters as far as the decision goes. The decision is really, are you going to force your kids to feel bad if they don't carry on your legacy? Or are you going to find a buyer for it and use those funds to do something else? And so um, during the process of selling the company this last time, I met an attorney who, in sitting with me, said, what's your plan B? And I was very emphatic that I didn't need a plan B, that I was going to continue to work there. And he's like, that's fine. I've heard that from a lot of people. But what's your plan B? And I again repeated, I don't need a plan B. And that went down several rounds, actually, um, before he told me that he had a lot of people that had taken the resources and started family foundations or done something in a big way. He said a lot of people donate a little here, a little there, and they don't really move the needle on any one subject. And so he said that by doing a foundation, you can move the needle in a big way and ensure it's going to be done after you're gone. And I had really never given that any consideration before. And uh, so that's what ended up happening. And we've started a foundation that's now supporting a fire police EMS training academy. And um, it's been a lot of fun and it's grown much, much faster than I would have ever pictured. It's just three years now, and it's the largest campus in Indiana. Not largest physically, most comprehensive. But and, and before we get into that, I know the attorney you're talking about, John Wichter, more than an attorney, he's, he's a great counselor. So talk about um, how maybe when you walked down the path as a bride and left the altar, just a couple things you learned each time that maybe you took with you, and then how was the board, how was the YPO, how did they help you with your decision, the governance? Uh, YPO was extremely valuable because every one of these opportunities was vetted with that group. And there's one particular individual in there that um, Val Victorian of his Harvard class who I just have incredible respect for. And every time he would tell me all the reasons I shouldn't do it. And I thought there was never a case where he would actually say, yeah, do it. And when I finally got to the, uh, the deal with Madison Industries out of Chicago, uh, he stepped right up and said, this is the right deal for you, and it's got the right parameters, which was not only shocking to me, but it was also very reassuring because I have a lot of respect for his opinion. And why why was it different, or how was it different? Because people are listening, and they're not probably not sure they're going down the path. You know, what, what, the, what did you look for? I was looking for somebody that would value the culture of the company and not break the company up. You know, I'm not looking for a <laughs> back to the runaway bride or the Richard Gere and the pretty woman where he bought the companies and tore them all up. Um, I just had someone ask me yesterday if it was a Richard Gere kind of company. And I think, well, what does that mean? <laughs> so that's fresh on my mind. But I was looking for somebody that look, was looking for founders who did not have an exit strategy. They wanted good companies, not bad companies. They wanted companies they could build upon the foundation, not tear down. And I very serendipitously found that company 
actually because our competitor was sold. And um, the company we ended up with was in the running to buy our competitor. And every time they would talk with the people from the other company and ask them, what would you do if you had more resources? Well, they said, we'd go out and beat up on TFT. And mm. eventually they got the idea they were buying the wrong company. So I met the uh, founder of that company and immediately had a man crush on him, if you will. <laughs> sure. um, he's just an amazing guy with amazing integrity. Integrity is extremely important to me. It was my father's hallmark. And uh, so when I met somebody that had the same kind of integrity, and so I, I've worked there three years past the sale, and just recently they put a new CEO in who's now taken the company the next step. I really thought I'd reached the point I couldn't take it much further. You know, it, it's a different leadership style needed at each level of a company. And, uh, and let's talk about the, just if you don't mind, the time frame. So that first year after the sale occurs, I think statistics are that eight or nine out of 10 have seller's remorse. So what what was your thought process at that point? And then we'll transition to, into now and building your legacy. I don't think I've had seller's remorse once. Awesome. Not once. You know, are there things they do differently that I would do them? Absolutely. I'm sure that's been the case when I was there, too, that I was doing things differently. Mm-hmm. But have they honored their commitment? They have. Um, they did not force me out. Um, I had chosen a CEO. Actually, before we sold the company, I had a guy training in president for the president's job. They kept him in as long as I was there. And then when I left, they replaced him with someone that they felt was more capable. And um, I think they may be, may be right. I don't know. Uh, but it's looking pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. But I've never had buyer's or seller's remorse. Um, I will tell one story that the board gave me that I think is pertinent for people. And uh, the last board meeting before the transaction was to go down, I had one of the board members hold me afterwards. And he said, I want to tell you about a, an $8 million car. I said, okay. He said, well, I had a company that was going to sell for $20 million. And everybody, every time the owner would see the buyers, he'd ask for something more. And they got a little tired of that. And the buyers, unbeknownst to the seller, um, decided that if he asked for one more thing, they were going to walk. And so they got to closing, and the seller asked to keep his company car. He thought it was a very simple request. And the buyers folded up their briefcases and walked out. And he ended up selling the company a year later for $12 million instead of 20. And so that car cost him $8 million. And we had a very similar thing happen the very last day of our transaction with a dispute over a payable that we felt they should pick up. They thought it was overdue and was long-term debt. And I almost had myself an $8 million car as Mm -hmm. well. But due to that story being lodged in my brain, I backed down at the appropriate time, which as I look back on it, it was still the right thing to do. And uh, we ended up closing the deal. But I could have very easily cratered the whole thing on that spot without that input from the board. Yeah, it sounds, I, I feel like you have like eight MBA degrees, you know, <laughs> for, all, for all the ex- experience you've gone through. It's just amazing. Well, an MBA sure just gives you the foundation. But uh, yeah. unfortunately... MBAs, and I know a lot of them, 
they give you a problem that has all the parameters already defined and you take those parameters and you build a solution out of it. The problem with business is those parameters are not there. They have to be discovered. And it's that discovery process that you do correctly or incorrectly that makes for the good decision in the end. I question absolutely everything. When I would ask my father a question as a young boy, he'd say, the answer's not written on my forehead. Or he'd say, count to 10, because he, he knew I had the answer. I was being lazy. And so ever since that, um, when somebody says they're doing something a certain way, it's like, okay, why? And really innovation and in entrepreneurship is incrementally looking at all the different details that make up a process and improving on them. You know, it could, it could be how you answer the phone. It, it can be instead of calling the, the front desk receptionist, call her instead the manager of first impressions. I mean, it's little things. But the details definitely make up the whole. And if you pay attention to the details, the whole functions. Awesome. So let's go back to your conversation about thinking maybe the business was a legacy, reading every family's business. And fast forward to now you're really, I think, creating this legacy with the Mac Foundation. So can you talk about how you, your thought process of going through that, creating it, what you found? Well, just a little bit more about that book. The sure. book is about two guys that are on a plane. They both sold their company, and they're flying to Barbados to invest their proceeds. And the one guy could not be happier. And the other guy is estranged from his wife and his son and his family. And he just can't believe they're so ungrateful that they wouldn't take over the business. And, I mean, he's just angry. And, um, wow, that just reading that part of that book had such an impression on me as to what is it about what you do with the money? Um, you certainly can't spend it on yourself, or at least I can't. And so to see fire training is something that's been lacking in this area for as long as I've been a firefighter. And uh, the state continues to put requirements on people to be a firefighter, but they're not providing the resources for it. So while what we're doing is something that should be state-funded, it's not. And uh, so we have a pretty unique thing going on here, although there are others that are doing it in other places in the country. So, And not to dive too into like uh, John Wichter and tax strategies, but did you set some of these things up prior to the sale, post-sale? You know, how, how did you think about it as you were walking towards the, the final wedding? Well, certainly taxes figure big in any transaction. And the fact that I was going to have to pay uh, the federal government a huge check um, weighed upon me. And so to be able to do something like this where you put the money, make the donation, and use that to offset the taxes of the money you do keep control of uh, is a very attractive thing. And so that's what we did was by making that donation. It was all set up, uh, effectively planned for. It wasn't completely set up, but it was planned for before the transaction took place. So, I mean, effectively the money never went through my hands. It was donated directly. So that's uh, just a powerful motivator to mess yeah, with Uncle Sam. And I mean, exactly. And obviously your passion was the primary motivator. And you know, people listening to this podcast might have similar passions and want to support some of the things you're doing. So how, how can people get involved in MAC and in some of the work that you're doing and support it? Well, I would say that they should look to what, you know, I assume this is a nationwide audience. They should look to what's happening in their own backyard and see where they can support them there. I mean, first responders are very much underappreciated for what they do. Uh, we recently had a employee had a car accident and 
Afterwards, he commented that there he was in his worst moment of his life, his kids on the ground bleeding with a head injury, and first responders show up, they take care of his son, they clean up the mess, and they're gone before he could even say thank you to them. And that's really the way first responders are. They're they're there, they handle it on your worst day, and then they're gone. Mm -hmm. And so they should support people locally. But the idea of doing a training academy goes back to probably 15, 20 years for me. Um, So a lot of it is just serendipity as well in terms of the right people at the right times and seeing opportunities and and taking advantage of them. I know some people call it vision. Is it luck? I think it's when those two come together that something happens. And who are you training now here? I mean, because I think it's a little different than maybe what you thought originally, right? Well, originally it was volunteer firemen was the focus because they were the most oppressed, if you will. But as it's expanded and when we named it Mac, uh, my dad's nickname was Mac. And so we worked hard to get the name. It's multi-agency academic cooperative um, to get Mac out of it. But it's now expanded to where we've had DEA and FBI and we have a lot of canine training going on with local police departments. We have a a virtual training simulator for shooting, um, you know, burn buildings. And right now we're in the middle of building a hazmat uh, training facility where spills can be contained and the fire department will respond up and there'll be a leaking barrel in the back of a semi and they have to figure out how to get the barrel sealed off and things like that. So uh, the, the opportunities are kind of unlimited. We also have a big pile of concrete. We're going to turn into a disaster city so that the canines can do searches for people, mm-hmm. both alive and deceased. So, and I know you like to run heavy equipment, so you're probably out there. <laughs> I spent eight hours yesterday running an excavator. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So, yep. well, I just want to say thank you so much for being a guest. I I feel like the information you provided is just such a great, adds such great value to whoever's listening, you know, to entrepreneurs, business owners, people who want to build legacies post and during that. Um, we're going to make sure that the information on Mac is on the with, with the podcast. Okay. Um, so we'll make sure that if people want to reach out to you that they can. And people can also follow up. We're going to create a white paper and a couple blogs that will that will surround a little more detail about what we talked about today. Yeah, and if there's opportunities from anybody listening to have a speaking engagement, um, I'm just looking to share information yeah, wherever so, I can. So I'm glad you said that because you've done a TEDx, right? So tell me a little bit about that experience. Most terrifying talk I ever <laughs> gave in my life. Um <laughs> I was goaded into it after years and years of pressure. And the night before I actually gave the talk, we had a dress rehearsal, and I absolutely just totally fell on my face. And the coach that they had given me when I came off the stage, she said, you know, it's your story. And I said, but I want to get it perfect. She said, it's not perfect. It's your story. And it was, I felt, I realized that I was so concerned that I would say something different than I had said before. And people in the audience that had heard it would call me on it because I wanted it to be right. And she convinced me that I was being too hard on myself with that, that it was my story and I should just tell it. And so I did. It felt fantastic. And I can, quite frankly, it's completely changed how I talk to groups. I'm not fearful of it. Like I was terrified of it before. And uh, now it's just your story. It's just an opportunity to share. So yeah, so we'll put I a, owe her a great debt, <laughs> debt of gratitude as well. We'll put a link on the site for that too, because um, I, I, I was there watching it, but I've seen watched it a couple other times and it, 
it's amazing. So did I say anything different the second time? <laughs> I don't recall because okay. I was just listening. But uh, <laughs> and I didn't know the story as well as you did. But you're right; it's all about the story. So, well, Eric, thank you so much. Oh, guys, again, Tim, thank you for bringing Stuart on. Stuart, thank you so much for telling your story. I mean, this was this meant a lot to me personally as a business owner to hear about all the things from part one of the podcast, this second part of the podcast, you've got a huge amount of wisdom that I would like to learn more about. And I'll be going to the Ted talks. I'm almost to 10,000. So you got to push me over the top. (laughs) All right. I'll get get on all your friends. I'll tell all my friends. Absolutely. (laughs) I will be listening to that today for sure. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. And Tim, again, thank you so much for bringing them on. Oh, thank you, Eric. This has been great. I love it. Absolutely. And the last thank you, of course, goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the WellStream podcast with Tim Scannell. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends, family, and hopefully your your coworkers that need to learn a little bit more about business because this is a great one. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the WealthStream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC.